the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. James Blend producing, Clark Hilton engineering today's program. In the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Cy Gart. He's the author of The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Coming up in the second hour of today's program, we're also going to talk about uh, secularism and as it increases in America, freedom decreases. And we'll take a brief look at Afghan Christians in hiding, clinging to their faith as they are attempting to survive the Taliban. Well, President Biden, in his first address to the United Nations General Assembly today since taking office, told his international peers that they stand at an inflection point in history, calling it a decisive decade for the world in which the United States intends to lead on all of the greatest challenges of our time while maintaining his commitments to allies and partners. The president started his address by saying the world is at a moment intermingled with great pain, but extraordinary possibility, calling it a a dawning of what must be a decisive decade for our world, a decade that will quite literally determine our futures. Well, those are very big words from the president. He addressed a number of uh, shared global challenges, including the COVID-19 pandemic, terrorism, nuclear proliferation, emerging technologies and climate change. He went on to uh, say... We are not seeking the new Cold War or the world divided into rigid blocks. Well, we've actually been in a Cold War with China for quite some time. The United States is ready, he went on to say, to work with any nation that steps up, that pursues peaceful resolution to share challenges, even if we have intense disagreement to share challenges, because we will all suffer the consequences of our failures if we don't come together to tackle COVID-19, climate change, or threats like nuclear proliferation. Well, the president, addressing his administration's full withdrawal of U.S. military assets from Afghanistan on August 31st, rather after the country fell to the Taliban, said America has ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. In fact, he began his address pointing out that he is speaking as president of the United States for the first time in 20 years that is not engaged in war. Again, the, quoting the president, As we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new period of relentless diplomacy, adding that the United States will continue renewing and defending democracy and maintaining that no matter how challenging government uh, by and for the people is uh, still the best way to deliver for all of our people. End quote. Well, the president went on to say that the United States has turned the page and said all the unmatched energy, will and resources of our nation will now squarely focus on what is ahead of us, not what is behind. End quote. Well, the sad thing is you don't always have the luxury of making that decision. It depends on what other actors choose to do uh, in the midst of um, trying to to pursue uh, the nation's priorities. The president went on to say. As we look ahead, we will lead on all of the greatest challenges of our time, but we will not go it alone. We will lead together with our allies and partners, with all who choose and believe as we do. 
that this is within our power to meet challenges, build a future, lift all of our people and preserve this planet. Well, part of the challenge that we're facing now is some of our allies after what happened in Afghanistan are rethinking whether or not the United States is a reliable partner. The president added that uh, none of this is inevitable. It is a choice. But I can tell you where America stands. We will choose to build a better future. Rallying his peers, saying we cannot afford to waste any more time. Let's get to work. Let's make our better future now. Well, the president, though, said that he is not um, agnostic about the future we want for the world. The future will belong to those who embrace human dignity, not trample it. The future will belong to those who unleash the potential of their people, not those who stifle it. One could, well could argue that the economic plan would do just that. The future will belong to those who give their people the ability to breathe free, not those who seek to suffocate with an iron hand. Again, critics, and I would be among them in this regard, uh, would suggest some of the policies that are being uh, pushed and will be voted on in the, the very near term would do just that to the American people. Four takeaways from the president's uh, U.N. speech Um, He talked about being interconnected as never before. He said countries must work together to fight COVID-19 as well as future pandemics, calling for a global health threat council to monitor emerging pandemics. Bombs and bullets cannot defend against COVID-19 or its future variants, the president said. To fight this pandemic, we need a collective act of science and political will. I'll just leave it alone. We need to act now to get shots in arms as fast as possible and expand access to oxygen, tests, treatments to save lives around the world. Well, the president continued from there. Another takeaway, climate is, um, he said, is at a point of no return. Now, this is a statement we have heard over the many decades, certainly that I've been alive, beginning in the 60s up to the present. The president became somewhat um, hyperbolic on the threat of climate change during his address, in which he referred to U.N. Secretary General Antonio Manuel de Oliveira Guterres of Portugal. This year has also brought widespread death and devastation from the borderless climate uh, climate crisis. The extreme weather events that we've seen in every part of the world, and you all know it and feel it, represent what the Secretary General has rightly called Code Red for humanity. And the scientists and experts are telling us that we're uh, we're fast approaching a point of no return in a literal sense. We've been on the point of no return for decades. This is the latest pronouncement of it. Also, the sting of terrorism the president made reference to while the hasty U.S. departure from Afghanistan has been widely criticized by the international government officials. Biden uh, cast the withdrawal as a step forward, asserting that war should always be a last resort. Instead of uh, continuing to fight the wars of the past, we are fixing our eyes on devoting our resources to challenges that hold the key to our collective future. Ending this pandemic, addressing the climate crisis, managing uh, the shift in uh, global power dynamics, shaping the rules of the world on vital issues like trade, cyber and emerging technologies and facing the threat of terrorism as it stands today. We've ended 20 years of conflict in Afghanistan. And as we close this period of relentless war, we're opening a new era of relentless diplomacy. Well, is over the horizon um, uh Oversight of Afghanistan has already proven, at least with one uh, effort, that it's uh, very difficult to um, maneuver without boots on the ground or eyes on the ground um, and certainly other issues as well. Whether or not ISIS-K and other groups in Afghanistan will find 
a haven in the days ahead, which will ultimately result in the United States focus once again being shifted, uh, is certainly a concern, not only with the U.S., but among our allies as well. And finally, no new Cold War. He said, although the United States nations, rather, although he did make the mistake of referring to the United Nations as the United States, has been known for uh, tolerating dictatorship. China, Cuba, Venezuela, Russia currently are members of the U.N. Human Rights Council. The president praised the institution as sharing America's commitment to freedom. Well, not so much. At one point, though, he appeared to refer to the United Nations as the U.S., the United States, uh, will champion the domestic values that go to the very heart of who we are as a nation and as a people, freedom, equality, opportunity, and a belief in the universal rights of all people. Well, that doesn't represent all members of the United Nations. It's uh, stamped into our DNA as a nation, and critically, it's stamped in the, into the DNA of this institution the United States, the president said. Of course, he meant United Nations. Uh, anyway, some things to um, to point out uh, from the president's speech. As interesting are some of the things the president didn't say. We won't go into that, but rather interesting to consider. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, we'll talk with Cy Gart about the works of his hands, a scientist's journey from atheism to faith. Well, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, ordered a shutdown on Thursday of six points of entry on his state's border due to an overwhelming surge of migrants. He then reversed the decision hours later, saying in a statement that the president has now flip-flopped to a different strategy that abandons border security and instead makes it easier for people to cross and for cartels to exploit the border. It's not hard to see why the governor wanted to uh, take drastic action. Well, photos and videos of the International Bridge in Del Rio, Texas, show thousands, mostly from Haiti, clustered at the border. Well, even the... um, a Democrat Del Rio mayor is pleading with the administration for help. Well, to make matters worse, the number of people gathered there under the bridge and now uh, on the U.S. side um, at the border is seemingly surging by the hour. Well, one would think this um, situation would necessitate swift and decisive action from the administration to resolve the issue and give aid to Texas and Del Rio. Well, the response was uh, certainly swift. Um, National correspondent Bill Melugan of the uh, Federal Aviation Administration said, rather, the Federal Aviation Administration put a ban on flying drones over the area um, where they're uh, congregating, citing a special security reason. In other words, we don't want images of what's happening there um, spread broadly. The Border Patrol requested the temporary flight restriction due to drones interfering with law enforcement flights on the border, the FAA said in a statement. Uh, As with any temporary flight restriction, media is able to call the FAA to make requests to operate in the area. Well, perhaps there are serious reasons to shut off media access to taking drone videos of the situation. However, given uh, the other uh, lack of action uh, on the issue from the administration, it certainly looks like a convenient excuse to stop uh, negative coverage. The Border Patrol is overwhelmed, and while they uh, are using horses to try to prevent people crossing the border and they use um, uh, whatever the apparatus is to marshal the the horse. There's now a new controversy, not so much the migrants crossing the border and how we're managing that, but whether or not the use of horses and the um, and I can't think of the name of the, the tool. It'll come to me a bit later. 
uh, to marshal the horses are an abuse of those migrants crossing the border. Now, Biden already said that Haitian immigrants who are coming to the border will be uh, forbidden entry into the United States. That's not what's happening. They were singled out and questions are now being raised as to why Haitians are being singled out. I mean, there's a reason there's an explanation for that. Uh, but the administration is not um, uh, is not preventing them from crossing the border, only suggesting the border is closed and that they will not be permitted to stay. Again, what's actually happening on the ground, which cannot be seen with drone footage at the moment, is quite different. Meanwhile, the administration announced on Monday that it's seeking to increase the refugee admissions cap to 125,000 for fiscal year 2022 in line with the goal set by President Biden in February. The State Department will consult with the Department of Homeland Security and Congress to increase that cap. The department announced it had sent a report to relevant congressional committees recommending an increase in the refugee admissions target from 62,500 in fiscal year 2021 to 125,000 in fiscal year 2022 to address needs generated by humanitarian crises around the globe. The new fiscal year begins next month. And uh, again, with the pandemic, there's some concern that uh, the kind of testing that is required of, of citizens is not being applied to those who are coming into the country. Well, with a crushing wave of migrants rushing the United States southern border, overwhelmed uh, U.S. immigration agencies are releasing numerous migrants, not just in uh, southern cities, but deep into the interior of the country in a revolving door system. Some are concerned is uh, giving a free pass into the United States, which has heartened and emboldened others to come to the border, despite the fact that the announcement was made that the border is closed. With destinations like Chicago, Denver, Minneapolis, New York City, Yakima, Washington, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, government-contracted planes are transporting migrants from the border into the custody of Immigration and Customs Enforcement field offices around the country. Now, these migrants are offered, often rather later released from these destinations. Now, these flights are made uh, in a... Uh, by an air, I guess it's iAero Airways, which is a major government contractor. The airline also transports migrants around the country in the custody of Customs and Border Protection and the Department of Health and Human Services for children. The migrants released into the U.S. after taking these flights add up to at least tens of thousands of individuals. Um, and then on top of that, the uh, Afghans who uh, are rightly in the country, at least those who have been vetted, uh, and again, the system is, according to those in it, overwhelmed. Well, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, on Tuesday said she's deeply troubled by images of the border uh, showing Border Patrol agents on horseback blocking migrants uh, from entering the country. The latest administration official to join the pile on against the agents who are dealing with a colossal migrant surge in Del Rio. Now, the vice president, you might recall, has been tasked with uh pinpointing uh, the reason for the migration into the United States. She's been in a witness protection program. You barely see or hear from her, certainly on this issue. But what she said about what she saw from a distance uh, is that um, she uh, saw depicted those individuals on horseback treating human beings the way they were was horrible, she said. And I fully support what's happening now, referring to the investigation. I'm deeply troubled about it, and I will also be talking to Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas about it today. 
Well, the vice president was reacting to images of Border Patrol agents in Del Rio, where thousands of Haitians have surged in recent days. Images showed Haitians, or rather agents, on horseback blocking migrants from entering the U.S. and in one case grabbing uh, onto a migrant's shirt. Overwhelmed agents have been working six days a week and more than 10 hours a day as they deal with more than 14,000 mostly Haitian migrants uh, who are um, who are at one time camped under the International Bridge with reports of tens of thousands more on the way. They are desperate for help and um, being criticized by those who at some comfortable distance are observing what's happening there. Let's hope the situation is addressed with the help they ultimately need from the federal government. Well, MSNBC anchor Stephanie Rule is criticized uh, criticizing the vice president on Monday for being missing in action during the ongoing crisis on the southern border. Uh, startling images of thousands camped under the uh, the bridge over in Texas uh, over the weekend confirmed that the situation on the border remains chaotic. Some refer to it as a humanitarian crisis. Texas Governor Abbott has determined the situation is dire. He's asked the president for a federal emergency declaration, saying that as of Saturday, there were nearly 16,000 in Del Rio. Thousands of families uh, are immobilized in 100 degree heat as their numbers continue to swell as they wait to be processed by the approximately 64 federal agents in the area. 16,000 migrants, 64 federal agents in the area. Uh, Abbott wrote in a letter to the president, individuals are camping in squalid conditions, bathing in muddy river water, causing great health concerns. Uh, Biden appointed Harris as his point person on the issue in March, and her critics are wondering what she's doing uh, to stem the influx of migrants that's overwhelmed Customs and Border Patrol agents, of which she has been critical. How about the message from our vice president? Rule asked on Monday, where is she? She was supposed to be in charge of all of these migrant issues going to the northern triangle uh, countries. That's obviously not Haiti. Well, Rule uh, reminded viewers that on her trip to Guatemala to spearhead diplomatic outreach on the crisis, Harris told migrants rather pointedly, do not come, but people aren't listening, Rule noted. You might recall that uh, candidate Biden said that if you are uh, in a country where you are oppressed uh, economically and otherwise, you should come to the U.S. Well, apparently they are taking him seriously and doing just that despite more recent comments saying the border is closed. In other developments, there's a political firestorm surrounding Milley's phone calls with China that were ignored by CBS, NBC, CNN on their Sunday shows. Meanwhile, NBC and CNN Sunday shows spent just seconds on the botched Afghan drone strike after ignoring the blunder last week. CNN's Don Lemon balked at uh, Cuomo's calls uh, to Ocasio-Cortez as a poser for the Met Gala dress stunt, as he referred to it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll continue to wind our way through some of the day's news, so stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on the eve of autumn. Tomorrow is the first day of fall. Well, a St. Louis couple, the one who waved guns at Black Lives Matter protesters, could face suspension of their law licenses. And I say plural because they both have them. Uh, the St. Louis couple who was captured wielding firearms at a BLM protest in front of their gated mansion last year is facing new legal fights uh, after uh, the chief disciplinary counsel in Missouri asked the state Supreme Court to suspend their law licenses. Well, Mark McCloskey and his wife, Patricia, 
They're both personal injury attorneys. They were admitted to the um, Missouri Bar in 86. They pled guilty in connection with the viral incident. Both were uh, pardoned by Republican Governor Mike Parson uh, back in July. Well, Patricia McCloskey, she pled guilty to harassment and was given $2,000 fine. Mark McCloskey pleaded guilty to misdemeanor fourth degree assault for threatening a passerby with an AR-15 rifle. He was fined $750. They didn't lose their law licenses at that time. Well, last week, the state's Supreme Court chief disciplinary officer filed a motion to have the law license of both of them suspended, saying both crimes prove the couple showed indifference to public safety and moral turpitude. In court documents, he cited uh, other Missouri cases in which lawyers were disciplined for crimes. He said their pardon uh, has no impact on his request. In Missouri, a pardon obliterates a person's conviction, but the person's guilt remains. Court documents read uh, presented to the seven member court. We'll continue to follow the story to see what happens there. And other developments, a Houston veteran police officer has been killed and a second wounded while serving a narcotics warrant. The police chief says there and Chicago Mayor Lightfoot's 16 billion dollar budget proposal includes more spending on police with a spike in gun violence there. Chicago weekend violence included 56 shooting victims, nine murders, and an attack on an alderman at a problem corner. Well, Canadians reelected Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party. A Texas Border Patrol discovered a hotel room packed with migrants in a suspected human smuggling operation. Aaron Rodgers silenced his doubters with a four-touchdown performance versus the Lions. And the GOP is backing the Defense Authorization Act, which requires women to register for the draft. Elon Musk mocked President Biden after SpaceX completed the first all-civilian flight. And Beijing is likely to save, I should say, unlikely to save Evergrande. According to reports, Evergrande is that massive Chinese real estate developer that um, rattled the U.S. market on Monday after reports that it's struggling to avoid uh, defaulting on $89 billion in debt. Well, the Biden administration is being slammed for more travel restrictions that will continue to cripple state economies. And a report confirms uh, Trump sanctions on Iran have decimated the regime's global trade. America's next hot import might be record energy prices. And I'm not talking about low energy prices. Janet Yellen, once again, she's warning that failure to raise the debt ceiling could trigger economic catastrophe in the U.S., Well, the media is ignoring the plight of Americans trapped in Afghanistan. And yes, there are still Americans trapped there, along with Afghans who are entitled to come to the country and those who are in mortal danger because of their faith. Ed Morrissey looked into uh, the quickly dwindling Afghanistan headlines, even as our people remain trapped behind enemy lines. Carol Platt-Lebu, she looked at the dire situation of Afghan women abandoned by the administration, and that is only worsening. Well, the Supreme Court plans to hear the Mississippi abortion case that could overturn Roe versus Wade, and they plan to do so, well, apparently, uh, December 1st. The case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization asks whether all pre-viability restrictions on abortion are unconstitutional. Mississippi is asking the justices to review the viability standard, arguing that the rule prevents states from defending maternal health and its interest in protecting life. It is well past time for the courts to revisit the wisdom of the viability bright line rule. Mississippi Attorney General Lynn Fitch wrote in a brief filed with the justices. The court agreed to hear the case in May, 
after months of deliberation. And it was announced earlier this week they will hear the case on December 1st. The U.S. plans to investigate border agents trying to stop illegal border crossings. The Department of Homeland Security on Monday pledged to swiftly conduct an investigation into what it called extremely troubling footage of the Border Patrol agents on horseback aggressively dispersing Haitian migrants, saying the internal probe could lead to disciplinary action. Very little word on how they find themselves in that situation, uh, grossly outnumbered with very little help. Katie Pavlich points out this is um, total, well, I won't use the word she uses. They're going to spend more time investigating Border Patrol agents doing their jobs and discipline them more harshly than those uh, breaking U.S. laws and storming the country. Democrats, many of whom remain silent on the abysmal situation in Afghanistan, are feigning outrage on the Texas border. Chuck Todd admits President Biden has a credibility crisis. The Meet the Press host said it's been a rough six weeks and it seems it's only getting worse. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says illegals need not show proof of vaccines because they don't plan to stay. I'm not sure who she's talking with, but they don't plan to stay, which, of course, is not at all the case. Rich Lowry says illegal immigrants are just temporary visitors now. Sean Spicer said this would be funny if it wasn't so stupid and scary. San Francisco Mayor Breed has been caught breaking the mask rules at a nightclub. Mayor London Breed used this um, odd excuse. My drink was sitting at the table. I got up and started dancing because I was feeling the spirit. And I wasn't thinking about a mask. I was thinking about having a good time. And in the process, I was following the health orders. Of course, she wasn't wearing the mask, which she has insisted residents in the city she is mayor of uh, wear. Then she complained that the story is about her. In other words, she's upset she got outed. Well, Inez Stepman says they don't care about charges of hypocrisy on this or anything else. The point is to remind the serfs. That their serfs and Stephen Hayes says staggering double standards once again. Well, some on the left are upset as a respected historian blistered the 1619 project. Princeton historian Sean Willens, he wrote in his lengthy piece regarding the take on the American Revolution. If it were a high school history paper, that discussion alone would have been grounds for failure. It's rare, after all, to read a student get every single stated fact perfectly wrong in support of a proposition for which there is no other evidence cited on two of the most important topics in all of U.S. history, indeed all of modern history, the causes of the American Revolution and the origins of anti-slavery. But this wasn't a high school paper. It was the New York Times magazine, and the author was, according to her contributor's biography, a highly acclaimed journalist. The essay may have been historically fallacious, but it was also inflammatory and attention-getting. You can read more on that at Historica online. Dan McLaughlin says, Willens has fired another salvo against the 1619 Project, its editor and lead essayist Nicole Hannah-Jones, Times Magazine editor-in-chief Jake Silverstein, and more broadly, the intellectual climate of anti-racist politics that produce warped history while intimidating serious scholars into silence. Read more on that. A National Review online. Los Angeles exempted the Emmys from the COVID rules because, well, it was a TV production. And apparently the virus can make the distinction between the mayors of a city and those who are part of a TV production. 
Well, Trump took a beating in the press last year for not wearing his mask more often. Biden was criticized by conservative media earlier this year when he continued to wear a mask outdoors on some occasions, despite the CDC saying it's unnecessary for vaccinated people. So why should a live televised celebrity gala be exempt from COVID rules just because it's televised? And by the way, while the celebrities didn't wear masks, those who served them did. Jennifer Van Lahr says, yet all the crew had to wear a mask all week long. Cameramen, servers at the tables and so on. The public noticed celebs see the rules as for the little people. Unless there's some confusion, you and I are the little people, the serfs, if you will. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, we'll hear from Cy Gart, the book, The Works of His Hands, a scientist's journey from atheism to faith. Coming up in the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show, we'll also look at how secularism in America, as it increases, freedom decreases. We'll find out if you agree later in the second hour of today's program. Well, squad member Omar, Ilhan Omar, insists the parliamentarian rule clarification is just a suggestion when it comes to immigration and uh, amnesty being a part of that that uh, trillions of dollars uh, legislation. The congressperson uh, was telling Senator Chuck Schumer to ignore it. Well, at his own peril, I suppose. Well, Black Lives Matter protested a restaurant for a vaccine passport melee. And of course, uh, restaurants are working under orders from those in authority who may or may not follow them themselves. But three black women were arrested for assaulting a hostess after someone and the stories vary wasn't allowed in due to their lack of vaccination proof. Other members of their party, and I believe there were something like eight of them, were all admitted into the restaurant with their vaccine proof. The three were not and the melee resulted Well, the Supreme Court is going to hear oral arguments challenging Roe versus Wade on December 1st and will also weigh New York's limit on carrying a handgun. Well, Democrats and the media, primarily on the left, mistake horse reins for whips. That's the word I was trying to think of earlier in the Border Patrol footage. Uh, An investigation is ensuing. However, there's not as much attention being given to the crisis that mitigated this circumstance. Joe Biden's agenda is hanging by a thread as Democrats are threatening to tank two major bills. Only 49 percent think the president is mentally stable enough to be president. Not the first time a president's uh, mental fitness has been questioned. In shades of Donald Trump, the Biden administration asked the Pentagon to send the military to the U.S. border, southern border, that is. President Biden plans to raise the refugee admissions cap to 125,000, the largest it's ever been. And a CIA chief team member reported Havana syndrome symptoms uh, during a trip to India. Still haven't gotten to the bottom of that. North Korea's nuclear program is going full steam ahead, the IAEA says. Well, stateside, the COVID death toll has surpassed the 1918 flu fatalities, and the U.S. plans to ease travel restrictions for vaccinated foreign visitors. The S&P 500 fell 1.7% on Monday for its worst day since May. The Dow shed 600 points. We'll expect what is being called the great holiday supply chain shortage. Doesn't matter if you shop early. The chances are things are going to be pretty, uh, pretty tight. There will be shortages. 
Well, back to square one. Justin Trudeau's Liberals win Canada's election but miss the majority in the Parliament. Well, a U.K. court decided kids under 16 can take puberty-blocking drugs without court approval. And a civil suit has been filed against a Texas doctor who violated the abortion ban in the first test of the law's constitutionality. And Emmy viewers called out hypocrite celebs for not wearing masks or social distancing. Yeah, they noticed. Well, on this day in history, 1893, one of America's first horseless carriages is taken for a short test drive in Springfield, Massachusetts, by Frank Durier, who had designed the vehicle with his brother, Charles. 1912, Harry Houdini publicly performs his water torture cell trick at the Circus Bush in Berlin for the very first time. 1938, a hurricane strikes parts of New York and New England, causing widespread damage and claiming some 700 lives. 1970, NFL Monday Night Football makes its debut on ABC as the Cleveland Browns defeat the New York Jets 31 to 21. 1981, on this day in history, the Senate unanimously confirms the nomination of Sandra Day O'Connor to become the first female justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. 1985, in both North and South Korea, family members separated for decades are allowed to visit each other as both countries open their borders in an unprecedented family reunion program. And some of the images from that were just striking. 1996, President Bill Clinton signs the Defense of Marriage Act, denying federal recognition of same-sex marriages a day after saying the law should not be used as an excuse for discrimination, violence, or intimidation against gays and lesbians. And although never formally repealed, the um, Defense of Marriage Act would be effectively overturned by U.S. Supreme Court decisions in 2013 and 2015. 2008, on this day in history, baseball says farewell to the original Yankee Stadium as the Bronx Bombers defeat the Baltimore Orioles 73, rather 7-2-3. 2009, record flooding hits the Atlanta area, leaving neighborhoods, schools, and even sections of roller coasters submerged in several feet of water. 2014, thousands of demonstrators fill the streets of Manhattan and cities around the world to urge policymakers to take action on climate change. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, Facebook says it would provide congressional investigators with the contents of some 3,000 ads that had been brought by a Russian agency. It had already released the ads to federal authorities investigating Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election. Well, in the midst of a once in a century pandemic, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention evidently has the time to publish a guide for language principles for inclusive communication. It was published August 24th. The new guide demonstrates that the virus of leftist wokeness has infected the nation's primary disease agency. Well, the new language usage guidelines uh, stress that health equity is intersectionality and therefore the CDC contends words such as diabetics And the homeless are dehumanizing language, never mind the fact that such words are scientifically or socially specific and accurate terms, no matter the negative um, negatives rather associated with those individuals finding themselves in such conditions. In other words, using language honestly and accurately is not grounds for charges of inequity. Well, demonstrating that its objective is uh, To use language to push political views rather than uphold scientific accuracy, the CDC guide provides a list of terms which up until a month ago were considered perfectly sufficient 
for providing accurate communication to be replaced with new ambiguous terminology from the woke lexicon. Oh, it's confusing, but I guess we'll all feel better. For example, the term biological male and female, male or female, is to be replaced with assigned male or female at birth. Another word to be rejected is inmates, which will instead become the um, unwieldy term people who are incarcerated instead of inmates. And of course, illegal immigrants should never be used. Rather, it's people who uh, people with undocumented status. Laughably, the guide claims these as examples for public health officials to avoid jargon and uh, use straightforward, easy to understand language. Okay, well, as it um, was under uh, Barack Obama, so it is under Joe Biden. Federal government agencies like the CDC are being used to force a uh, woke ideology onto the American culture at large. The reason language is explicitly attacked is because it is the primary means of controlling the political conversation and ultimately the culture. I won't go into more of it, but um, you might want to get that lexicon if you want to fit in. Well, many Americans think that black lives matter as a paragon of social justice and who can blame them. Most of the media have failed to tell them the whole story that the BLM organizations was founded uh, and is led by people recruited and trained by actual communists to, in their words, dismantle the organizing principle of society. Even big tech helps to cover up the uh, the details. I know this, writes Mike Gonzalez, the author of a new book that was censored by Amazon, because Amazon obstructed for a week my effort to shine a spotlight on BLN. Uh, Gonzalez wrote BLM, the making of a new Marxist revolution, precisely to educate and expose what the media have kept from Americans. Encounter Books published it on the 7th of September, but on September 14th, they learned that Amazon had blocked their ads for the book. It's still been selling very well. It even ranks number one in Amazon's own black and African-American history category, beating um, Ibram X. Kendi's Stamp from the Beginning and Nicole Hannah-Jones' The 1619 Project. Finally, on the 16th of September, Amazon uh, told Gonzalez and his publisher that it was reversing its decision, which a spokesman told one of uh, the colleagues there was part of a human error that was being rectified. Well, kudos to Amazon for doing the right thing in the end. But the questions remain. Was the ban the result of an individual who just disagreed with the content of the book? Let's not forget that Amazon has actually banned the sale of the former colleague Ryan Anderson's book when Harry met Sally responding to the transgender moment. Amazon's original statement was Orwellian. It said the ad for my book contains books or content that is not allowed. Content that revolves around controversial or highly debated social topics is not permitted. Please remove this content from your ad. We're at the top of the hour. We've got news and traffic coming up. And then in the second hour, Cy Gart, the works of his hands, a scientist's journey from atheism to faith. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next couple of segments, we'll hear from Cy Gart, author of The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. And we'll also look at an article that makes the claim, and I think a pretty pretty strong claim, that as secularism in America increases, freedom decreases. And we'll take a quick look at Afghan Christians in hiding, clinging to their faith, following events of just a few days ago. 
Champagne socialism, that's what some are calling it. Tax the rich is what read, uh, uh, what the dress worn by a socialist congresswoman at an exclusive New York gala uh, said that typically costs about $35,000 to get into. Now, she says she didn't pay for the dress or the entry. However, uh, apparently there's some uh, some problem with what you can and cannot do as a congressperson, and there may be some questions about that. But the now infamous dress worn by Representative Ocasio-Cortez, who appears not to understand the irony of, uh, or really even the definition of irony, was made by a company deep in tax debt in three states, in part for not paying out workers' compensation insurance to employees. Now, being aligned with socialists in 2021 apparently means looking like a the decadent elite to make a point in the Hunger Games, dodging taxes, uh, stiffing workers. Well, in response to criticism, Ocasio-Cortez said that politicians have to attend these events due to our responsibilities in overseeing our city's cultural institutions that serve the public. End quote. And she added that the criticisms are just uh, the uh, the latest example of how her body is policed from all um, corners politically. Her body is policed from all corners politically. We're to believe that um, the congresswoman appeared at the Met Gala. It was just being done for you, the people. And by the way, anyone who criticizes this decision is a sexist. She is being policed from all corners politically. At least her body is. Well, as absurd as her comments may seem and as hypocritical as it may look like on the surface, there is a certain kind of logic to it. If you uh, separate what the new socialists say they are for and what they are really about confused as to why someone would uh, who presents as the for the people socialist demands all the opulent privileges of the Politburo member. uh, Welcome to champagne socialism. That's what Jared Stepman uh, says in a recent column, Champagne Socialism. He says this perfectly illustrates the cultural and political trends of American society. Woke sloganeering is the social capital of the cultural elite. It's the currency by which they maintain their status and shield themselves from criticism. Tax the rich is apparently or perfectly accepted and in, in, uh, in fact uh, an approved message just as protected um, unborn life would be. Well, John Gibson, the executive uh, director, uh, director, uh, I should say officer of Tripwire Interactive, a video game studio, resigned after tweeting out support of a Texas law prohibiting the abortion of babies with a heartbeat. He was literally denounced by the company as he left. Solidarity to the cause is the only quality that now matters in our increasingly mediocre meritocracy. Join the cause and you can do no wrong. Go against it and you'll be unpersoned, if you will, by demonstrating their commitment to various left-wing causes, especially diversity, equity, and inclusion, no matter of hypocrisy, incompetence, or failure can derail the elite's access to power. Remember when Virginia Governor Ralph Northam basically endorsed infanticide and then admitted to wearing blackface, or maybe it was a Ku Klux Klan hood in a college yearbook photo? One would think that would... um, have been career ending uh, for the politician. He happens to have been a Democrat, but he got a pass after uh, doubling down his commitment to wokeness and tearing down historical statues. So he earned the right to continue. Racism is just fine as long as you join the crusade of anti-racism. San Francisco Mayor uh, London Breed has been uh, praised widely by the left for being at the forefront of creating new equitable American cities. 
How has she demonstrated that commitment? Well, Breed was caught dining at an exclusive uh, Napa restaurant, French Laundry, clearly a popular spot for California uh, politicals in November when she and so many other politicians were insisting that we all, the rest of us, the little people, must socially distance and avoid gathering. At the time, she called the criticism fair. A year later, and we see what that fair criticism really meant to the San Francisco mayor. She was once again caught at a large social gathering in San Francisco at a nightclub, this time dancing and singing without a mask among a party of maskless people violating her own city's rules. And again, she's the mayor. She initially, her initial excuse, rather, was that she was vaccinated, but San Francisco's rules don't make distinctions for mask wearing between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, as we all know here in Oregon. She then followed up with excuse number two. I was feeling the spirit and I wasn't thinking about a mask, Breed said while laughing and smiling in an interview. Taking the mask on and off to follow a ridiculous rule is tedious, you see, at least for her, but... For the little people, that doesn't really matter. This is basically the equivalent of whatever. I'm the mayor. Stop killing the vibe while I break my own rules that you have to follow at the risk of a hefty fine. Another great victory for equity and science. Will Breed face any consequences from this? Well, of course not. She committed. She's committed to the revolution. And as long as you're signed up, you get a pass. The lesson is that under our new cultural hierarchy, blatant hypocrisy and double standards from the elite should be expected. You stay within those ranks and in the good graces of the uh, the regime by paying constant homage to its cultural tastes and making it clear that in this new world of tolerance and inclusion, those who disagree or differ are justly and ruthlessly excluded. They're canceled, if you will. The only flaw in this system is it will crumble if the people truly turn against it. If the people decided that they've had enough of this hypocrisy, enough of the vapid sloganeering, and began to demand competence and accountability from their leaders. Maybe there will be consequences to this nonsense. Until then, expect no more absurdities. And it's a sad commentary on our culture at this moment. Well, a Virginia high school teacher posted a video criticizing the concept of students behaving themselves and sitting quietly in class as part of white supremacy. I stated that PBIS is white supremacy with a hug, and a lot of y'all wanted to know more about that, the teacher said in the video that was originally posted to his TikTok account in May. Well, the teacher has was referring rather to positive behavioral interventions and support or PBIS, as insiders would call it, which is framework used by Virginia public schools to support positive academic and behavioral outcomes for all students. Well, the teacher appears to be Josh Thomas, an English teacher in Blacksburg High School. Well, the Montgomery County School District uh, says that a teacher is entitled to their personal belief regarding any division program. The statements made by the teacher do not reflect the uh, school's program or the behavioral expectations that we have of students in our schools. Well, the Virginia teacher says that encouraging behaviors like following directions is white supremacy. In other words, that's what white folks do. But to students of color, as we are referred to, blacks, Hispanics and others, maybe Asians, but they're usually excluded from that list, shouldn't be required to um, uh, behave themselves or follow directions. It is so once again an insulting um, suggestion that we're incapable of such things and to insist upon it uh, to expect that kind of response is white supremacy. 
So, again, the expectation is once you graduate, in this case from high school, or if you happen to make it through university, you're not going to be employable because you can't be expected to comply with whatever standards are set by the employer. Being a doctor, no, you really can't be expected to follow uh, the rules. Want to be a pilot? No, can't do that because uh, following directions is white supremacy. So what are the expectations long term for students who are not required, as this teacher would suggest, to actually learn? Coming up, we're going to hear from Cy Gard. He's the author of The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. We'll also look at secularism and how it impacts freedom in America. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Here's the question. How does one go from an avowed atheist to a person of faith? Well, in his new release, The Works of His Hands, biochemist and author Cy Gard, he takes readers on a personal journey from being raised in a militant atheist family to that of a fully committed follower of Jesus, a Christian. And while he had no intention to believe in God, as a student and early in his career, the science that he loved led him to question his worldview. In fact, he says, and I'm quoting, my scientific knowledge had made me doubt my atheistic upbringing and I was ready and waiting, but not yet a believer. Then one day while I was driving on the Pennsylvania turnpike, The Holy Spirit took hold of me. I pulled over, wept, and thanked the Lord for his mercy. Well, the book is titled The Work of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. And my guest, Dr. Cy Garth, is a biochemist and has been a professor at New York University, University of Pittsburgh, and Rutgers University. He has authored over 200 scientific publications and four previous books and has served as division director at the National Institutes of Health. He is also editor-in-chief of God and Nature Magazine and Vice President of the Washington, D.C. Chapter of the American Scientific Affiliation. He is a lay leader at the United Methodist Church, and he joins us today to talk about his book, The Works of His Hands, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you. Well, you um, uh, write in your book that um, your own salvation came through the understanding that the natural world and its description by science is a strong witness to God's existence and majesty. Can you explain a little of what you mean by that, given the fact that you were a scientist for much longer um, before you came to recognize God's hand uh, at work, as the, the title of your book suggests? Yes. Well, I, I, was, I actually still am a scientist. I've been a scientist uh, my whole adult life. But I was also an atheist, and as you mentioned in your introduction, I was brought up in a very militant atheist family. Uh, and taught that not only should we not believe in God, but that the idea of God is impossible, and religion, in particular Christianity, are evil and, you know, should be avoided. So that was my my original upbringing, and it was a long journey to get from there to where I am today. Uh, And as as also was in the introduction, uh, the first part of that journey involved the science I was learning, which was uh, going against the strong materialist views of how the world is that I had been taught as, as a youth, and uh, was opening up a lot of questions in my mind about that kind of atheist dogma that I was learning. And when I began probing into those questions, I found myself rejecting that kind of strong atheism and ended up 
more or less as an agnostic. I really wasn't sure what to believe. You describe your journey as long and winding and say that you write the, you wrote the book more as a guide to the perplexed for people of faith or uh, open-minded atheists who wish to embrace the modern world of science and technology and enjoy the intellectual and emotional beauty of science without giving up any part of their equally beautiful and soul-enriching faith in God. Talk a bit about who you want to reach and, and your approach in sharing not only your journey, but uh, what you learned along the way. Yeah, I... I had a very specific audience in mind when I wrote this book, and that is uh, that audience would be anyone who, especially Christians, who are uh, wondering about their faith and who have been told by the media and by the very strident voices of new atheism that you have to choose between God and science. You have to choose between your faith. You may have been brought up in a in a in a very devout Christian household, and then you go to college and you learn uh, about biology and physics and evolution, and you 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 know get the idea either from professors or from pastors or both that you can't have both. You have to choose one or the other because science and Christianity are in conflict. And the whole goal of of my work, and I'm not alone. There are many of us mm-hmm. trying do the same thing, is to show that that is a myth, that the conflict between science and Christian faith is, is not real. It's, uh, it's made up, and it is, it's easily destroyed as soon as you actually know enough about science and enough about the truth of Christianity. You divide the book into two parts. In the, in the first part, you focus a lot on, on, on your experience, your quest for knowledge that brought you to question your materialist assumptions and some of the larger questions that I think are, are familiar to many of us. Yeah, I mean, I, I start out talking about uh, a little bit about physics. I, I will say there's a lot of science at the beginning of the book, but it's not, it's, it's very accessible mm-hmm. to non-scientists. So uh, don't, readers should not be worried about that. Uh, but I do talk about some of the very strange results of modern physics, which, are, you know, are not the kinds of things we learn in high school about inclined planes and, and pulleys and things, but very complex stuff about atoms and, and electrons and particles. And when you get into that level, it turns out that physics is not terribly rational. There are all kinds of seemingly magical things that go on in when you're talking about how you know, electrons can be both particles and waves at the same time and all kinds of other things that just don't make a lot of sense in our minds, but they're true. And when I learned about that, and that's, as I said, that's the first chapter there. uh, When I learned about that, I started wondering about the whole claim that Christianity uh, or religion in general must be false because it's irrational. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, uh, so is science. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to our minds. It makes sense mathematically, but that's about it. So uh, that kind of destroyed my first argument against the idea of religion. And after that, I talk about what I was learning in biology and biochemistry, which is my own field. And the incredible beauty and complexity of, of even simple cells is just staggering especially when you learn the details. And I just found it hard to just accept the idea that this was all accidental. This is all just, you know, from natural 
uh, events that occurred by chance. And I started thinking, well, I don't know, there must be something else going on. I didn't know what it was. I still didn't believe in God. I was, I've also always been fascinated by human beings, by the, the incredible, uh, power of the human brain, the creativity, imagination, art, music, humor, uh, science itself, all of this is, is brand new in the universe, and it only you only find it in human beings. And I, I was asking myself, what, what, what is it? You know, what, what caused that? How do human beings get to be the way they are? And I didn't have a good answer for that. Mm-hmm. So these, these are some of the questions that were, you know, poking holes in my original uh, uh, wall of belief in, in strong atheism. And I was rapidly losing that. And, um, and then I began realizing that science has a lot of limits. There's a lot of things that science does not answer. And all scientists know this, the whole concept of scientism, which is the philosophical view that all questions can be answered by science is not something that most scientists share because scientists know from their own experience that there's a whole range of questions, even questions about the natural world, that science is, is not able to answer. So at that point, uh, I, I guess you could say that, that that is the first part of the book and the first part of my journey. And what it left me with was a sense that uh, I really didn't know what was going on, and uh, I was no longer hostile to the idea of God, the idea of religion. I still had a long way to go, and the way I developed that part of my story was uh, I was be- I became open to people I knew who were Christians. Uh, one of them brought me to a church for the first time in my life. I was in my late 40s when that happened. And I was expecting a horrible thing. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect in the church. I'd heard all these horrible stories about, <laughs> you know, fire and damnation and brimstone and all kinds of things. And I, I was, I walked in, I was absolutely terrified. I don't think I've ever been that frightened, you know, walking into a church. <laughs> and, and the pastor started speaking about love. And that was it. And, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, people shook my hand. Uh, they wished me peace. And it was very pleasant. And I was very surprised and realized, well, I guess I really have been lied to. Uh, you know, it was, it was not a horrible experience at all. It was actually quite pleasant. And I will say that since I became a Christian, I've been in many churches, many denominations, and I have never had anything other than a wonderful experience. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't just lucky, I think, <laughs> that any any church you can walk into, especially if you're a diehard atheist, you're going to be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to continue our conversation, but I do need to take a sure. quick break. Again, we're talking with Dr. Cy Gart. His book is titled The Works of His Hands. We'll take a break and be back in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with my guest, uh, Dr. Cy Garth. He is the author of The Works of His Hands. And in the book, he is, I should mention, a biochemist, and he shares what he learned and still learning during his uh, career as a scientist in search of purpose and meaning. He discovered Christianity, to uh, paraphrase C.S. Lewis, as the light by which everything else may be seen. His insights offered in narrative and creative storytelling provide a roadmap for reconciling science and faith, both for spiritual seekers and uh, peeking over the uh, the fence of the yard of agnosticism and those who are sitting on the pews looking outward. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about the first half of the book. In the second um, half of the book, you really um, uh, cover many of the issues and questions that are presented against God in the academic and scientific uh, settings and explain the foundations that um, are false on which they rest. Can you talk a bit about the second half of the book and how it fits with uh, your journey and others who might be seeking? Sure. Um, well, what happened was I, I, I wasn't expecting to become a Christian at all, uh, even after I had kind of rejected my materialism and my uh, uh, you know, my original atheism, I, I was kind of floating around looking at various things, you know, new age stuff and spirituality in general. But uh, what happened was, and this is the last, this is covered in the last chapter of the first part. Uh, I, first of all, I had a couple of dreams uh, in which Jesus Christ appeared to me and I didn't know it was Jesus. It was a man. But those dreams were very powerful, and uh, they led me to wonder if perhaps uh, that was the answer, <laughs> you know, Christianity. Um, I decided to read the Gospels, and when I did that, I had never, of course, cracked the Bible before, but <laughs> at this point, I went straight to Matthew, and I read it, and it it seemed convincing to me. I mean, I didn't necessarily believe it, but it certainly didn't seem like a fairy story. It didn't seem like anyone had made that up. And then I read the Acts of the Apostles, and that read to me like actual history. It didn't, again, it didn't sound like this was some kind of a conspiracy to, you know, to fool the masses into <laughs> believing in, in, in religion. It, it, it sounded very real. And the story of Paul, of course, was, was very moving to me. Um, and so... I was about, I was really thinking about this as a possibility, but I couldn't quite get over that threshold. My training had been too intense and too long. And uh, I was actually dragged over the threshold, as as you (laughs) mentioned in the introduction, while I was driving one day uh, by the Holy Spirit who who came to me, and uh, it's described in detail in the book, but Mm -hmm. basically I found myself preaching a sermon and to myself, and that sermon did not come from me. <laughs> I didn't even know some of the concepts that were in it. But when I was done, it was I was it was clear to me that that Christ is real, the Holy Spirit is real, and I became a Christian right there at that time. But now we'll get to your question because that caused a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I was going to believe in Jesus Christ as a as a fully committed scientist, and and I didn't know any Christians. I, I certainly didn't know any Christians in science, and I didn't know what to do, and I had a lot of questions I had to deal with, like, you know, what about the Bible? Is the Bible true? Doesn't the Bible have contradictions, and doesn't the Bible say things that are not scientific? 
I had to understand the, you know, what about evil? What about all of these questions that, you know, I had always brought up myself when arguing with people who were religious and were trying to convert me. And, you know, I, I had to answer those questions uh, as well to myself. And I did. And I found it surprisingly easy to do. And when I thought about it, I mean, one of the things that people often bring up is why doesn't God give me a sign? And sometimes when I tell people about the dreams and the experience driving that I had, they say, well, nothing like that has ever happened to me. Why doesn't God come to me and give me a sign? And the answer to that is that I remember once I had come to Christ, that God had given me many signs in the past, all kinds of things. that had been pointing to belief in him, and I had simply ignored them. And in one case, I actually was felt emotionally moved by something that I saw and that seemed very much in tune with the idea of, of God, but I just rejected it and I just chalked it down to, you know, some emotional de- uh, delusion or something that was affecting me. And I rejected that. I wasn't listening. I wasn't open. And it wasn't until, you know, my study of science opened me up that I was able to hear these calls to Jesus. And once I could hear them, I eventually was able to respond. So that was one question that I was able to deal with. In terms of the Bible, luckily, I I came across many Christians uh, who are scientists. Uh, I read a book called The Language of God by Dr. Francis Collins, who's now the uh, director of the NIH, uh, a famous geneticist, and who is an evangelical Christian, and who actually I've come to know, and and he's an amazing man, and his book, if nothing else, it showed me that I was not the only one. (laughs) I thought I was the only scientist who would ever believe in God, and then I, I... discovered a whole universe of people, uh, Mm -hmm. both living and in the past, I found out that almost all the scientists in history were Christian up until the last few decades, actually. That includes Pasteur, my heroes, uh, you know, Alexander Fleming, and uh, obviously uh, the well-known ones like uh, Copernicus and and, uh, Maxwell and Faraday and Robert Boyle. These are all giants of of early Mm -hmm. science, and they were all not just Christians, they were devout Christians, and they wrote about Christianity. So all of this had been hidden from me, and I, when I learned it, I, 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 also, I also found out there were many Nobel Prize winners who were Christians, and I actually had met one of them, at least. I may have met two, I don't remember, but one I've met. And um, the whole idea that, that no scientist can be a Christian, which is what I thought. I honestly thought that. I thought it was too contradictory. It's just nonsense, and uh, it's 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 what I call a big lie. It, it it's well believed by many many people, especially younger people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's taught on some university campuses. Uh, unfortunately, I believe there are some professors. I've known a couple who will stress that if they're teaching biology and evolution, they'll say, "Well, you know, obviously this is not the Bible. You can't believe in uh, in God if you're going to accept." modern biology. And that's simply a false statement. It's completely untrue. I just love the fact that you're telling your story. And each uh, chapter, I should mention in the book, includes discussion questions. Uh, You have a comprehensive appendix where readers can find more extensive information. 
It's written for anybody who's ever been told that the realities of science call for the rejection of God, as you've just described. And it really is uh, an approachable book, as you mentioned uh, at the start of our conversation, that I would highly recommend. I wish we had more time, but we are out of time. I want to thank you for the book and for taking your valuable time to talk with us here today. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. Again, the book is titled The Works of His Hands. Dr. Seigart is the author and is currently available in bookstores. In fact, Kregel is the publisher. A great read, and you should find some encouragement, those of you who have uh, family members and friends who seem like they're just outside of the, the possibility of the gospel reaching them. Be encouraged. Again, The Works of His Hands, Dr. Seigart. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Dennis Prager had an interesting article today. The uh, headline was, As Secularism in America Has Increased, Freedom Has Decreased. It's Become Less Free and More Secular. He writes that individuals can differ as to whether those two facts are correlated, but no honest person can deny they are facts. It seems to me indisputable that they are correlated. To deny this, one would have to argue that it is merely coincidental that free speech, the greatness of all freedoms, is more seriously threatened than at any time in American history. While a smaller than ever percentage of Americans believe in God or regularly attend church. He goes on. The United States uh, became the freest country in the world, the sweet land of liberty and the recipient of the Statue of Liberty, the country whose flag freedom fighters around the world have often waved. This freedom was rooted in the deeply religious nature of its founding ideals. America was founded by God-centered individuals to be a God-centered country. The claims that America's founders were mostly deists and that the that America was founded to be godless, secular society is not true. Again, Dennis Prager, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> continues. Some of the founders were not Orthodox Christians. That is, they did not believe in the Christian Trinity or in the divinity of Christ. But none of them were deists, with the possible exception of Thomas Jefferson. Deists believe in a creator God who is not only uninvolved with the creation, his creations, but he also did not even know them, let alone care about them. After creating the world, the deists God abandoned it. The deist God was Aristotle's unmoved mover. Every major founder, again, with the possible exception of Jefferson, believed in the God of the Bible who heard prayer, acted in history, judged people in the hereafter, demanded ethical behavior, and without whom morality did not objectively exist. Most importantly, they all believed that in order for a functioning democratic republic not to descend into tyranny, it was necessary to link freedom with God. Whatever Jefferson's view of God was, he was as influenced by the Bible as was every other founder. He and Benjamin Franklin proposed that the great seal of the United States depict Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt. Moses raiding, raising rather his rod to divide the sea. Pharaoh in his chariot overwhelmed by water and the divine pillar of fire that led the Israelites by night. The seal's proposed motto, rebellion to tyrants, is obedience to God. Well, Jefferson and Franklin believed that freedom and obedience to God were synonymous. No God, no freedom. The founders linked freedom inexorably to God. That's why the inscription on the Liberty Bell is from the Bible. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. End quote. Well, the verse comes from Leviticus, the third book of the Bible. Well, the founders knew their Bible and present uh, 
adult generations of Americans is more um, ignorant of the Bible than any in American history. And most young people know even less. I suspect that most students at Harvard couldn't identify Leviticus, let alone cite any of its verses. Well, the bell was named the Liberty Bell by the abolitionists. Their opposition to slavery was based entirely on the Bible. Their motivating principle, all men are created equal, came from the Bible. They did not get it from the ancient Greeks who would have scoffed at such a notion. Freedom permeates the Old Testament. The Bible begins with the story of Adam and Eve, a story about man's assertion of his God-given freedom, freedom even to disobey God. The primary story of the Old Testament is the Exodus, a story about God's liberating slaves. Well, for the founders, the most obvious reason freedom was dependent on faith in God was that only if God is regarded as the source of freedom could men not rightfully take it away. If men are the source of the freedom, men can rightfully retreat it. Well, that's precisely what is happening today. Freedom is being destroyed primarily by those who scorn the idea that freedom comes from God. The rule that the end of religious a religion rather means the end of freedom doesn't mean that secularism would not be a welcome replacement for totalitarian theocracies such as Iran. But eventually that too, a secular Iran, would lead to tyranny. Wherever God is delinked from freedom, freedom ultimately withers. When Christianity died in Europe, it was replaced by fascism, Nazism, and communism. Freedom is central to the Bible. This is especially apparent in America, which until now was linked its unparalleled commitment to freedom to God and the Bible. But freedom is peripheral to leftism. That is why freedom in America is threatened as never before. The foundations upon which freedom rests, God, the Bible, Judeo-Christian values, are threatened as never before. Every American coin bears two inscriptions, in God we trust and liberty. Every generation of Americans prior to the 1960s understood why. Most Americans today, including secular conservatives, do not. Now, I want to just emphasize that although the republic was founded on biblical principles, the notion of freedom was not fully enjoyed by all of its citizens or all of its residents until quite late in our history. Um, but it was an appeal to scripture. It was an appeal to the liberty that the founding documents referenced that ultimately won the day. We've been thinking and praying for thinking about and praying for Afghan Christians. And I noted Tony Perkins uh, earlier this month uh, said that deep in hiding from the Taliban, Afghan Christians are clinging to their faith, which is for those of us who are deeply concerned and have been praying an answer to prayer. He writes that they take turns staying awake, praying and walking the floor while others sleep blissfully unaware, at least for a few hours. They are being hunted. Now, imagine that for a moment. They have no passports, no visas, very little of what they need. Most of all, hope for these Christians in a safe house deep in Afghanistan. Time is running out. Together, they live in fear of a single knock on the hiding place door from the Taliban. It happened so fast. That's a quote from Sarah. We had many plans for preaching the gospel with other brothers and sisters. Now their plan is to just survive. Even that, they know, will be difficult. To the despair of rescue groups and humanitarian workers, the small population of Christians in Afghanistan has seemed to vanish almost overnight. Some have fled to the hills. Others have retreated into the shadows, turning off their phones and hunkering down in whatever undisclosed location they can find. Some have just gone missing completely. For people like Jean Marie Thrower, 
Those are the ones that haunt her the most. People are going missing and getting killed every day. Only God knows who, when, and under what circumstance. On the ground, her Afghan rescue crew hears the harrowing stories of desperate parents. We have had people shot, beheaded. They're uh, taking the kids. If you're on the run and they find your family, they'll hurt your family and put the word out in the neighborhood that we've got your brother, your son, your daughter. They cut off the heads of two boys that were nine and ten. The Taliban are executing Christians faster than her organization can find them. We started out with 300 three weeks ago and we're down to 55. The orphans, if they're lucky enough to be left behind, are starving. She talks about two little girls who managed to hide after their parents were killed, but eventually they got so hungry that they ventured out to the market. The Taliban found them, raped them, and beat them. Well, the stories go on from there. Uh, I'm reminded once again of the scripture that says we are to pray for those who are in prison, and certainly this is a description of a life of confinement as though we ourselves were in prison And so I hope we will continue to pray for them and be reminded of other believers around the world who under similar and different circumstances are suffering and suffering persecution uh, are in hiding for their faith in Jesus Christ. We've been asked to pray that they would remain strong in their faith. And I think we uh, consider how we might respond under similar circumstances. They've asked us to pray that they would remain strong in their faith, that God would protect and preserve them, that he would hide them from those who are seeking to uh, kill, persecute, or whatever uh, to them. So let's let's cooperate together as though we ourselves are in prison and pray for our Afghan brothers and sisters and others who are persecuted for their faith around the world. Want to thank um, Clark Hilton for engineering today's program and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you'll join us tomorrow for the best of the Georgine Rice Show. I have some medical issues to be dealt with tomorrow, but I'll be back live and in studio on Thursday. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.